You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the story of a Pitt Meadows teenager viciously swarmed and beaten by a group of girls that she says have tormented her for months. She and her mother want to remain anonymous, but say their concerns were ignored for too long. And a warning, even though we've blurred portions of the video, it might still be disturbing for some viewers. Grace Key reports. Months of bullying led up to this disturbing swarming and beating of a 14-year-old girl. Others watched and recorded. Her identity is being concealed because she's a minor. Once a crowd started chasing after me, I ran. And then my knees gave out and I stopped beside the school. And then I got slapped and I blacked out and fell to the ground. The teen was with two friends Saturday night when they came across a group at Pitt Meadows Secondary. At one point, she was able to call her mother. Her identity is also being concealed for safety reasons. She was screaming, a blood-curdling scream. At one point, she called me back and they were beat. I could hear them kicking her. I could hear her screaming and crying and she said, Mom, I'm going to die. The bullying got so bad since January, the 14-year-old has been taking classes online. It's been very stressful and it's impacted me a lot. I just sit at home all day. I have a couple tears here and there because I don't know what to do and not being able to do anything without worrying that someone's going to come up behind me any moment and hurt me. The founder of Kids Play, a non-profit organization working to keep kids away from drugs, gangs and violence, has been in contact with the family. Its founder says these swarming incidents are on the rise. I think it's on the verge of an epidemic where we're beginning to see it more and more frequently, where these kids are luring out the victims and they're being jumped. He says kids are recording it live on social media and it's become a source of entertainment. So normalized you can hear one girl casually speaking with another. I miss you so much. We've always encouraged parents to get involved, talk to their kids, and if their child is experiencing something to that effect, have that line of communication, give that child the help that they need, bring it to the attention of school administrators or in cases where it's relevant to law enforcement. We just want to kind of relax and not have to be worried about what's going to happen every time we leave the house. The young teen ran to a nearby house for help. She went to hospital and says she suffered cuts, bruises and a concussion. They have filed a report with Pitt Meadows RCMP. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP in Kelowna blocked off a forest service road after the discovery of a man's body. The body was found Sunday in a wooded area just off the Myra Forest Service Road in East Kelowna. Police say many of the details are still uncertain, but they don't believe there's any concern for public safety. Our investigators are still working with the BC Coroner Service to determine if there is criminality, and the investigation will move from there. Kelowna RCMP are working alongside the BC Coroner Service in their investigation. BC's top doctor will be reviewing BC's prescribed hard drug program after Global News coverage highlighted some potential flaws in the system. And as Richard Zussman tells us, health officials are recommending expanding the types of drugs available. It's been a program under scrutiny. Now the province is reviewing the prescribed supply of hydromorphone. It is time now to reevaluate and adapt to what we are seeing now. Our understanding of the many issues and needs has become more refined, though the urgency is greater than ever. Chief Coroner Lisa Lapointe says hydromorphone, also known as Dilaudid, is not playing a significant role in suspected toxic drug deaths. It is currently being prescribed to around 5,000 users in B.C. 
to help get them off a reliance of potentially poisoned street drugs. But there's an acknowledgement the policy of prescribing just hydromorphone is not meeting the needs as intended. It needs to include additional medications being available, different models for how people can access those medications and continuing surveillance and monitoring. Both the Federal Conservatives and BC United have been critical of a lack of perceived safeguards. The plan has always been to review the program and another thing being considered as part of this review is recommending more prescribed drugs be available at potentially higher dosages. If there was more safer supply out there, uh, would that re reduce people's reliance on the um, illicit drug market? Uh, is that a bad thing? Monday's press conference was not called because of one individual, one politician, one media report, but rather concerns about anecdotal stories being shared, rather than facts about the hydromorphone program. Policy is being driven by fear, by polarized opinion, by anecdotes. It actually causes harm. We are focused on saving lives. We are focused on reducing harms. We have seen far too many harms and far too many lives lost and far too much suffering in our communities. And we have been concerned about this increasing, uh, increasingly polarized rhetoric. And while the target of the rhetoric has often been the downtown east side, the reality is most of these illicit drug overdoses happen in people's homes and far from these streets. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, you have some pretty startling context when it comes to the breakdown of who is dying and where that's happening most often. Yeah, so again, we're now approaching seven years of this provincial emergency health crisis. I think many people watching the news hour tonight either have lost someone due to this drug crisis or know someone or know a family who've lost someone. I know three people who've died because of drug overdoses. Again, all associated with illicit fentanyl. So here's some statistics, a reminder. None of these fit the stereotype. So more than 12,000 people now, 12,433 people to be exact, have died as a result of illicit opioid overdose. 79% are men. That's a startling statistic. 163 people, largely teenagers under the age of 19, have died in this health crisis. And as Richard pointed out, 86% of the deaths are outside the downtown east side. This defies uh, stereotypes. People are dying at home in communities right across the province. A point, uh, Chief uh, Coroner Lisa Lapointe made today. The people behind these faces died in communities large and small, urban, suburban, and rural and across all levels of income, education and lifestyle. Most of them died indoors, most of them in their own residence. Those who died have left families, friends, colleagues, pets and huge holes in their communities. They were loved and they are missed. The one thing they all had in common was using drugs from the unregulated, profit-driven, illicit drug market. So, of course, that last point from Chief Coronel point, a key one. This is illicit fentanyl. This is not safe supply deaths. Uh, another statistic today, 100,000 people in British Columbia have opioid disorders. Those are the people who are using drugs, not necessarily every day, but they're most vulnerable to the worst outcome here because many of them are getting it on the street, and it's illicit fentanyl, which is killing people. That is a lot of people at risk. All right, Keith, thanks very much.
The group Doctors of BC has just announced changes that should make it easier to book a follow-up appointment with a specialist. As of July 1st, patients will not need a re-referral from their family doctor in order to continue seeing a consultant or specialist for an ongoing problem. That change is designed to reduce burden on doctors and patients when it comes to seeing a specialist several times. Doctors of BC is offering webinars to doctors to explain how to navigate these changes. Well, if you are feeling the financial squeeze these days, a new, a new survey shows you are definitely not alone. Overwhelming debt is becoming a big problem. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the threat of yet another interest rate hike is making it worse. Whether you swipe or slide or tap, for most Canadians, more money seems to be going out than coming in. Levels of debt rapidly rising across the country. And according to the Angus Reid Institute, majority of people, the situation has only gotten worse. What we are seeing is just a persistence. It's the continuation that really stands out at this stage. According to the survey, more than half of Canadians are having a hard time making ends meet. 31% of people surveyed say they are struggling. 21% report being uncomfortable. A big portion of that comes from household debt. 29% of people across all housing types say it's tough to pay their mortgage or rent. And 13% say it's difficult to keep up. A problem that will only get worse if interest rates rise again. Despite the skyrocketing costs of housing over the last year and a half, the market appears to be more resilient than many predicted. And I think part of that is just low supply. You know, if you're trying to buy a new condo or a townhome, upgrade your principal residence, uh, there's not very many listings. You're still competing into a multiple offer situation. With housing costs so high, Canadians are increasingly turning to lines of credit or high interest credit cards to fund their month to month spending. That debt is taking a toll on people's mental health. 26% of people report that debt is a major source of stress in their lives. Experts say people need to realize they aren't alone. The stigma around debt can lead to bigger problems down the road. A, you don't have to be ashamed of having debt, um, and B, there's options, and you can get help, and you can also talk to someone for free. You don't have to pay for advice to find out what options you have to deal with your debt. Economists are split whether the Bank of Canada will raise rates this week, but even if it holds steady, without a significant economic downturn, a hike may be necessary down the road. Planning for increased costs and increased anxiety seems inevitable. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The full list has been revealed of B.C. municipalities, which, according to the provincial government, need to build more housing and do it more quickly. And as Travis Prasad reports, there are questions about who's on the list and who's not on the list. Last week, the province named 10 municipalities that need to build more housing. Now, a government document reveals the full so-called naughty list is made up of 47 communities. Everyone has a role to play in making sure that we have enough housing in our region. From Surrey to Belcara, the list is comprised of every community currently subject to the speculation and vacancy tax. A considerable amount of work was done to identify communities that had the most pressures on their housing and also had the opportunity to grow. The B.C. government looked at housing need, projected population growth, land availability and housing affordability. The Ministry of Housing can now choose to work with any of the 47 municipalities to establish housing targets. A notable location not on the list, 
Whistler. And they've been very explicit towards talking about how challenged they are towards building housing for their workers, which in the end may actually ask what does making it on the list mean versus not being on the list. In the Okanagan, Vernon was also excluded from the naughty list. Business advocates there say the city is building at a good pace, but detached homes dominate the housing stock and more affordable options are critical. For professionals who are coming into our community, you know, the nurse, the tile setter, the specialized teacher, you know, they're coming with great jobs that are really well paying, but they're still out of, those single family homes are still out of touch. The housing minister says the list is not finalized and more communities will be added in the coming months. We're going to let the modeling and the research dictate which communities. Uh, I certainly won't be throwing uh, darts uh, on a map on the wall. Uh, we want to make sure that this is data informed. But with an ongoing labor shortage, this urban planner says it's unclear when any new homes will be move-in ready. Where are these people who are going to build these houses coming from? That I think that there is still an underlying systemic question that the, the identification of these municipalities and the development of this act doesn't necessarily fix. Travis Prasad, Global News. So broken down by region, perhaps not surprisingly, the B.C. government says Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley have the most municipalities with housing problems at 24 communities. Vancouver Island is close behind with 19, while the interior has just three, and the central and northern regions just one, and that's Prince George. Well, get ready for a run on fans and air conditioners. Retailers are already restocking after the last hot spell, and it's going to get even hotter. The latest on the mini heat wave on the way, next on the News Hour. It was just a matter of I got to get the camera on and start filming because if I don't film this, no one's going to believe us. The West Coast shark sighting that has everyone talking a little later on the news hour. And another near miss on a notorious stretch of highway while the mayor of Clearwater is speaking out. Right now, though, the forecast is calling for another stretch of hot, dry weather over the coming days. While the temperatures are not expected to come close to the extremes of the 2021 heat dome, people are being reminded of the lessons learned when the mercury climbs. Janet Brown reports. The units are literally flying off the shelf, <laughs> but they will really fly off the shelf when it hits uh, the 30 degree mark. That seems to be the breaking point. He says their summer shipment of AC units and fans came in during the springtime, but the May heat wave emptied that stock. Yeah, that was a year's supply for the summer, and so we were lucky enough to get a replenishment. And some people are also getting ready now to keep their pets cool. We got a new little puppy, he's eight months old now, and she just loves the water, so we're gonna, rather than letting her in our pond, we're gonna get her her own pool. First responders in Surrey say prepare now to keep cool. To know the signs and symptoms, the things that they can do to mitigate their risks in a heat event, uh, knowing that if they don't have air conditioning, to find a place to, that they can cool off. And she encourages people to sign up for the public alert system brought in last year that sends out notifications of safety-related messages. It'll tell you the, it, what the event is. So in this case, if it was an extreme heat event, it would tell you to stay indoors as much as possible, to seek cooler uh, areas, to make sure that they're very well hydrated and to check in on other people. People who work with the unhoused in Surrey are suggesting it may be time for the provincial government to supply air conditioning units for the vulnerable. 
the people that we get housed, often they're housed into places that, that don't have air conditioning and they're, in, they're, they're needing to come back to see us to get into air conditioning. He says donations of sunscreen, water, fans and cool clothing would be welcomed over the coming days. Janet Brown, Global News. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the heat and when we can expect it. Christy. Sophie, this is calling, we're calling a mini heat wave because this is really a two, three day event. It's not a long, prolonged period, whereas a heat wave typically is sort of at least three days, but more likely more. Nonetheless, it's going to be hot, that's for sure. So for us across the South Coast, areas away from the water will be in the low 30s, 30 to 32 degrees potentially. The one area I'm really concerned about is sort of Kamloops, Cash Creek, Lillooet, Lytton. Those areas could be up to 38 degrees. And for those of you, for the rest of the southern interior, we're talking about up to 35. But there's a difference in the timeline. The south coast, the two hottest days will be tomorrow and Wednesday. We've got two hot days, but three hot days are expected in the interior, and that will be Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So these are a good 5 to 15 degrees above seasonal, flirting with record-breaking conditions, and we'll have more on details on this and the drop in temperature that's expected in the days to come. Back to you. Some relief. All right, thanks for that, Christy. For the time being, the continued hot, dry weather is prompting yet another warning for people to be extra careful in the backcountry. Right now, there are 81 active fires burning around the province, and as Catherine Urquhart reports, many of them are believed to be human-caused, sparked near roads and areas popular with hikers and backcountry campers. Firefighters brave the heat, dousing a grass fire in Kamloops. The reports originally when crews got on scene, they were quite shocked how quick it was traveling already. BC wildfires just arriving on scene as well. And uh, we've, we're going to have them help with some just some wet line guard securing, just to make sure the fire is nice and tight. West of Harrison, the Chehalis River wildfire is now 50 hectares and burning out of control. We have several wildfire resources, firefighters, as well as air tankers, helicopters, skimmers, and tree fallers. On Vancouver Island, the Cameron Bluffs fire is burning near Highway 4, close to Cathedral Grove. Human-caused, it stretches across 20 hectares and is out of control. In the interior, just west of Peachland, crews are tackling the Pigeon Creek wildfire, which is burning in steep terrain. This early fire season, concerning many. Our modeling shows that this may be an especially severe wildfire season. The largest wildfire in B.C. continues to burn near Fort St. John. Donnie Creek is measured at more than 240,000 hectares. A portion of that includes planned ignitions. So far, no permanent homes are threatened. As firefighters do their best to battle the flames, many are blaming climate change for the increased activity. We in Canada and around the world need to do more and accelerate the fight against climate change. With conditions so dry, everyone is being urged to be cautious with campfires and to report wildfire sightings immediately. We ask that if anyone does detect a wildfire, they call 1-800-663-5555 or star 5555 on their cell phone. Extinguishing wildfires quickly will be key in the months ahead. Crews did so on Sunday night when a fire was sparked south of Lions Bay. Conditions in B.C. now extremely dry, with the summer months still ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
A woman has been killed in a house fire in North Vancouver's Moodyville neighborhood. Crews were initially called to the home in the 400 block of Queensbury Avenue just before midnight on Friday. The fire was put out quickly, but a resident of the home was found dead inside. RCMP are conducting what they're referring to as a thorough investigation into the cause of the fire. Just ahead, exposing some flaws in BC's e-bike rebate program. It's been incredibly popular, but some people who need it most say they're being left at the curb. Also tonight, why dozens of passengers had to abandon ship during a dramatic rescue on the high seas. Good evening and some good news here in Coquitlam, clearing stages of a two-car crash westbound on Como Lake at Thermal Drive. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle. Expert Care Kids, Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Tristie Wisson in Global One, high above a crash in Coquitlam. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. RCMP are renewing their plea for more information about the suspicious deaths of 17 wild horses in the B.C. interior. The animals were found shot on March 10th, about 65 kilometers west of Kamloops, near the town of Wallachine. Police say they've received considerable support and information from the local Skeetchison Indian Band, but more tips are needed to help close the case. RCMP say no piece of information is too insignificant. It's believed there are as many as a thousand wild horses on the Chilcotin Plateau. The mayor of Clearwater says video showing a near miss involving two commercial trucks reinforces the urgent need for road safety improvements. It happened around 7 p.m. Friday on Highway 5. Take a look. Just south of Clearwater, dash camera footage shows an oncoming semi-truck crossing a double solid yellow line to pass. The driver who filmed it had to pull all the way over onto the shoulder to avoid being hit head on. It's a stretch of road that's been the scene of a number of fatal crashes. So we have 130 kilometers without a passing lane. So it's one way each way. That would be the equivalent of driving from Simon Fraser turn off at Gillardy there all the way to Hope without a single opportunity to have a two-lane passing zone. And, and that leads to a lot of driver frustration um, and people making bad choices. Blackwell says another part of the problem has been staffing officers at the Clearwater RCMP detachment. Due to retirements, the highway patrol unit is now down to just two members. There should be five. Well, more questions tonight over the B.C. government's wildly popular rebate program for electric bikes. As Kristen Robinson reports, some are wondering about the government's price point to qualify. Okay, here we go. Lorley Monroe has been on the ride of a lifetime since purchasing a new electric bike last week. It's opened up a whole new world for me. Give me so much more independence and freedom. I love it. Switch your gears up by the buttons. Monroe, who suffers from anxiety and lives on disability, saved for more than a year to buy the e-bike for $1,200 at auction. To qualify for BC's e-bike rebate, the purchase price must be two grand before taxes. Living below the poverty line, Monroe says it would take three and a half years to come up with cash like that. You know, $2,000 might not be much to, you know, a regular household income, but it's like almost in unachievable odds for someone like me. 
that was really the price point that the research suggested uh, gave somebody uh, the opportunity to purchase one of these e-bikes uh, with a good battery pack and a, a, and a high consumer rating. Demand temporarily crashed the government website when the program, which offers rebates from $350 to $1,400 depending on income, launched June 1st. Almost 12,000 applications in the first 24 hours. Two-thirds or close to 8,000 people, including Nanaimo's Jennifer Franklin, landed on a wait list. So I'm curious why they weren't able to, at a certain point, direct you straight to the waiting list or um, let you know that applications were full. So, so I found that part quite frustrating. The response, beyond what government expected, says B.C.'s transportation minister, with 83 percent of the first 4,000 applicants in the lowest income bracket. As to whether they'll add more money for rebates or further incentivize the purchase of e-bikes... I don't think we're ruling out anything that the data informs us would be a good idea to perform some tweaks uh, on, on the program. Monroe believes the government has good intentions but hopes everyone can be included. It just made me really sad to realize there's like how much has benefited me, how much it could benefit other people who are living below the poverty level. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, we'll take a look at Apple's vision of the future. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. The tech product it's betting you'll want badly enough to shell out thousands. And new fertility research that could help couples conceive when sperm is scarce. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Good evening. Traffic is moving well both ways over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind, though, during the overnight hours, there's ongoing expansion joint replacement happening, and it's going to affect southbound traffic from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Load up on lumber at low prices you haven't seen in years at the Woodstock Festival of Lumber on now at home hardware building centers and home building centers. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. An engine fire has forced the evacuation of an Alaskan tour boat with 78 people on board. The U.S. Coast Guard was notified around 7.30 this morning that the 178-foot Wilderness Discoverer was on fire in Glacier Bay. All 51 passengers, along with 17 crew members, were safely transferred over to the nearby Sapphire Princess cruise ship. Ten crew members remained on board while the Discoverer was towed to Ketchikan, no word at this point as to what caused the fire. Well, Apple kicked off its annual Worldwide Developers Conference today by announcing its newest gadget. The long-rumored Vision Pro is a mixed-reality headset that could finally bring augmented reality technology into the mainstream. The company that built its trillion-dollar brand by producing game-changing technology announced its first new product in a decade. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. Apple's mixed reality headset, unveiled at the company's annual developers conference, blends the real world with the digital. This marks the beginning of a journey that will bring a new dimension to powerful personal technology. The headset marks Apple's first foray into virtual and augmented reality. But the technology, which produces a 3D interactive environment, has been around for years. Used for everything from video games 
to training astronauts to travel into space, even soldiers to fight in Ukraine. I'll try not to hit you or anything, Victor. Global News recently visited this startup in Kyiv that's piloting VR tech to train Ukrainians to fire mortars. It's a learning process. It's a process of experiencing something. But despite its many successes, VR has so far failed to live up to the hype. So I think it has a lot of potential. This VR researcher says the technology is still buggy and there aren't a lot of real-world applications. And so we've gotten really far. Um, it's just there's, there's a ways to go. Since releasing the iPod back in 2001, Apple has created an entire ecosystem of products that, whether you like it or not, have become ubiquitous. But for some analysts who were expecting the next big leap, the headset is a bit of a head-scratcher. Tech giants Google, Meta, and Microsoft have all tried and failed, in some cases spectacularly, to turn VR into a money-making reality. There we go. This industry analyst spoke to us over Zoom using his VR headset, which produces an avatar. Good-looking avatar uh, you've got there. I made myself a little bit slimmer. He imagines a not-too-distant future where these headsets will allow people to appear physically in a room together, meeting, playing, and collaborating. When Apple comes into a market, it really pushes the boundaries. It makes things cool, um, and it really creates um, some consumer buzz. He says Apple's first headset is just the beginning. Analysts say the device with its eye-watering price tag is too expensive and impractical. Though that's also what they said about the first iPhone. Jeff Semple, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, a University of Alberta research team has identified something in sperm that could lead to a new test to predict which men would benefit from surgery for infertility. About 2% of men don't produce enough viable sperm for in vitro fertilization. Treatment for the most severe form of male infertility involves a complex surgery to search for any usable sperm, and it isn't always successful. Now a U of A team has identified two specific proteins found only in viable sperm that could lead to a diagnostic test to predict whether the surgery would be worth it. It will make a big uh, difference for uh, people who probably went through this procedure once and it failed because Nothing was found, but it doesn't mean that there is zero there, right? The new test could also help surgeons choose the best time for surgery because sperm production can fluctuate. About 15% of couples experience infertility these days, roughly half due to male infertility. Coming up, a dive they'll never forget. You know, the corner of my eye, I saw it and I just thought, that's a big shark. The BC scuba trip that led to a once-in-a-lifetime encounter. And later in sports, high expectations for the new version of Lions QB Vernon Adams Jr. From the stories breaking right now to all the day's issues. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. We're getting some renovations done here at the old global building out in Burnaby and we all moved to a new part of the building where the sun was streaming in the windows mm. baking everybody today Christy. Oh you're so lucky to have I have no windows in my office but 
Good for you guys, finally getting some windows uh, considering how hard you work. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about the South Coast area where it's really not a heat wave in that it's really only a two-day event. Uh, we're talking about heat in the low 30s away from the water tomorrow and Wednesday, and overnight lows will be dropping down to about 12 to 14 degrees. So it'll be fairly comfortable, and we do have a drop in temperature as we head towards our Friday. It's more so those of you in the interior where it's more of a three-day event, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and overnight lows could be down to 17 to approach. 20 degrees and it's at that point that it gets pretty uncomfortable you don't get that relief from heat at night and especially some areas like in the Thompson region where you're above 35 degrees you will see a bit of relief into the weekend but as you can see here we're going to still remain above seasonal for this time of year these are substantial temperatures for sure and we're going to continue to see the fire danger rating trend towards these uh, highs and extreme values you can see across the south coast it's all at a high and then there's a few pockets of uh, extreme values the uh, north coast region though has transitioned to low because they saw a little bit of rain over the last few days but for much of the south coast we don't have any significant rain in the forecast for the next few days so here's a look at your Tuesday everyone again we are expecting the peak of the heat for the south coast area Area tomorrow and Wednesday. Those of you in the interior will be hot, but not as like what you're going to see on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So straight sunshine with highs ranging from 24 to 33, sorry, 30 degrees across the South Coast area. And that's not only tomorrow, but on Wednesday as well. You can see the slight chance of showers towards the end of the weekend. We haven't put a drop in the forecast in so many days, but it's only a slight chance of showers at this point. And we'll refine that as we get closer, but that's nothing substantial, that's for sure. So still nothing significant in terms of rain. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from West Vancouver. Henry Tom captured this from Ambleside looking towards downtown. Stunning shot and that was the strawberry full moon that we had over the weekend. Henry, I love the name of strawberry Henry, full moon. Yeah, Henry Tom knew what he was doing with the camera yeah, for that one. Ever. Well done. All right, Squire is here now. Another sign of summer just around the corner, of course. Squire. Yes, CFL football. BC Lions are actually going to start the season Thursday in Calgary. Quarterback Vernon Adams believes the Lions still have, even though Brian Burnham retired, the best receivers in the CFL. Absolutely, man. We got playmakers all around, man. So I got to say all the time, I get them the ball, I let them do the rest. He threw three touchdown passes in a rather short preseason appearance against Calgary last week. Now he just has to repeat that performance when the games are for real. Also tonight, shark sighting. BC divers startled when they got some unexpected company. Okay. Eight to number three. Eight to number three, a big switch. We'll see if it works for Vernon. That's right. Vernon Adams Jr. did change his number this year from number eight to number three, which, of course, is closer to number one. And he's number one for the Lions this year when it comes to uh, quarterbacks. And he'll start this Thursday in Calgary when the regular season begins. But, of course, Adams was acquired from Montreal last year to replace the injured Nathan Rourke. He started six games. He won four. And his one start in the Lions preseason made the BC coaching staff very optimistic. It was about as good a football game as you could get from Vernon Adams. I never want to peak too early and just get overexcited, you know what I'm saying? Just got to trust the process, enjoy the process, and let's just do it. That's it.
And the Lions are hoping Vernon Adams Jr. will be doing it for all 18 regular season games and beyond. Adams was perfect in the Lions' final preseason game, going 12 of 12 on his pass attempts for 243 yards and three majors. Tough not to get excited about doing it for real come the season opener Thursday in Calgary. He's, he's, he's hungry. You can see it in his eyes. He's hungry, man. He's, you know, he's his, he's his toughest critic because, you know, he wants to be perfect every play and, like, we're, we're with him. Like, we're, we're, we're love, like, this new Vernon that, you know, people are seeing. Like, he's, like, he's going to be spectacular. I mean, you know, even though it was the preseason, you've seen how locked in and focused he was making his reads. So, he's been doing a great job look, giving the playmakers the ball and, you know, running the offense good. So, I mean, I'm excited for Vernon this year. Excited because Adams Jr. had a full offseason to absorb and add a few new pages to a line's playbook that's now tailored to his game. He's also worked on releasing the ball quicker to take advantage of those playmakers that he has alongside him in the Lions huddle. I think there's a comfort level now where he's spent an offseason um, with our coaches and the playbook and knowing who our receivers are and what our football team is. And so I think that just brings a level of comfort where everything can just happen more quickly for him. Each year you get more experience and um, you learn and you just want to be better. You know, I don't want to talk on how much I got better or anything. We haven't even played a game yet. So I just want to get out here and take it day by day, game by game, and we're just going to see what happens. But I'm very excited about the guys we have here and the coaches we have here. The one thing Adams Jr. will do every time he's on the field is keep opposing defenses on their toes, and for good reason, too. Every time I talk to my dad before the game, he always says, go use your feet, go get a first down with your feet at least once a quarter, at least, you know, and that's going to make the defense play it honest. And uh, then we got guys open downfield, you know, so just really excited. We got a new running back with us. Um, you know, he's very exciting and electric. So us two in the backfield is going to be pretty nice. And then the electric guys on the outside, old lines looking great. We're, we're excited. Speaking of excited, the BC Lions were all excited when they signed defensive lineman Jonathan Kongbo, who played high school ball at Holy Cross in Surrey. He played part of last year with the Denver Broncos. Before that, he was with Winnipeg. But apparently, he didn't like the fact he wasn't going to start on the defensive line. And he let everybody know that. And as much as the Lions appreciated his honesty, they also didn't like it. So today he was traded to Hamilton. It just it wasn't going to work out. So uh, it just it, it just was a thing that that wasn't going to work, and uh, and so we move on. So it was it was pretty clear to me it wasn't going to work out. It is a big year for South Florida because both their hockey team, the Florida Panthers, and their basketball team, the Miami Heat are in the finals and both weren't expected to be even close to a championship because both barely made the playoffs. Now if you're wondering which of these two is more popular I think it's safe to say if they both won the Heat's parade would be a lot bigger. If you look at TV ratings in Miami the Heat's playoff games are getting on average four times more viewers than the Florida Panthers. Tonight the Panthers are playing the Golden Knights. The Golden Knight is queuing Wayne Newton. That's right Wayne. Get everybody fired up. 81 years old now. His hair is slightly younger, but he's 81. And he's still going. Good. And so are the Golden Knights. John of the Marsa Show. That's a power play goal. It's 1-0 for Vegas. Check out this. Matthew Kachuk and Aiden Hill. This is old school playoff hockey. As Aiden Hill channels his inner Billy Smith and slashes Kachuk. The ref saw it too. It's like, you know what, Matthew? If you're going to do that, that's going to happen. I'm not calling it. Second goal. Alec Martinez makes it 2-0. Now it's 3-0 for Vegas. They're still scoring goals. 
And Sergei Bobrovsky got pulled after this, and it's 4-0 in the second. Vegas leads Florida. And the uh, Montreal Canadiens have signed forward Cole Caulfield to an eight-year deal worth just under $63 million, or an average of $7.85 million per year. He scored 26 goals last year, but he only played 46 games. He missed a lot of time because of a shoulder injury. This is a rather big bet on a player who's only 22, but he has shown goal-scoring brilliance at times. And what we're going to find out this summer is what Elias Pettersson is going to want in a new contract from the Canucks because he only has one year left on his deal. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a little bit more than 7.8 a year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Squire. All right. Coming up, it's not exactly a scene from Jaws, but BC divers got spectacular video of an elusive shark that lives deep in BC waters. That's next. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Share your story. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Kamal Karamali is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Kamal? Sophie, we hear tonight from a woman who feels lucky to be alive after a terrifying incident on Highway 5. We showed you this video earlier, dash cam footage, where a semi-truck crosses a double solid yellow line to pass another semi tonight. The message from the driver who almost got caught in a head-on collision. Plus, tree trouble. More than 20 trees vandalized in Coquitlam. The cost of the damage and the search for the culprit. That's coming up on Global News at 11. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Kamal. All right, now a group of divers got the thrill of a lifetime swimming with a rarely seen species of shark during a recent trip to Alberni Inlet. Blunt-nosed six-gill sharks are common on the West Coast, but they're very elusive, spending much of their time in much deeper water. Kylie Stanton spoke to the divers about their encounter. Exploring beneath the ocean surface, you never really know what's in store. And while every dive has its moments, this one <laughs> is going to be tough to beat. When we first saw it, there was a lot of excitement. There's been a lot of comments about uh, so are you done diving now? Like you've seen everything. You've seen the, the unicorn in our waters. In late May, a group of four divers from Nanaimo headed out to a well-known shipwreck site off China Creek Marina in the Alberni Inlet. They were exploring roughly 30 meters down when they realized they weren't alone. Just moved my light down and I saw um, this gray thing, large. I'm like, what the heck is that? It was without a doubt a blunt-nosed six-gill shark. Unable to talk, the friends communicated their excitement with hand signals. Hey, did you see the big shark? While capturing the creature on two different cameras, proof of what they call an incredibly rare encounter. For me personally, it was just a matter of I got to get the camera on and start filming because if I don't film this, no one's going to believe us. According to Fisheries and Oceans Canada, the blunt-nosed six-gill shark is usually found in the demersal zone, more than 2,300 meters deep. It can grow up to 4.8 meters in length, has six long gill slits on each side, and two rows of teeth. But that said, they're not especially dangerous. I think it was young, and I think it was just curious of what we were and what was going on. The group notified Fisheries and Oceans Canada of the sighting and is encouraging others who may be as lucky to do the same in hopes of gaining a better understanding of the creatures. They just have data on the depth, the location, um, and then uh, they can just kind of log it. Um, and since 
we haven't seen these sharks in the Puget Sound or any areas, this could be a good sign that they're coming back. And because BC is one of the only places in the world where divers can actually see these sharks, the plan is to keep diving, hoping the odds will once again be in their favor. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Wow. When you can hear the laughter 30 minutes down like that yeah. or 30 meters down like that, you know, it's pretty amazing. I, want, I always wonder when the sharks get together, they laugh about it too. Like, you should have seen what I saw. <laughs> there were these <laughs> human things yeah, down they here. Were like, they had all this stuff on them yeah. and weird fin things <laughs> yeah. on them. Like, they're, they had no gills. Like How do they stay down here with no gills? <laughs> amazing, right? Okay, uh, the heat's coming, right, Christy? Yeah, so for the South Coast, it's not so much of a heat wave. It's really just a mini heat wave. We've got two days of heat on the way. You'll get relief from heat at night. Keep in mind, we do have a slight chance of showers to the, uh, towards the end of the week, but it's really only a slight chance, and we'll refine that forecast as we get closer. I'm more so concerned for the interior regions uh, where we're looking at Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as real uh, significant heat, certainly. Yeah, mid-30s, amazing. Stay hydrated, drink water, yeah. sunscreen. Excellent advice. All right, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Everyone have a great night. Good night, all.